everyone. I'm Lee Yubigang and this morning I'm going to um, bring you a part of the book of Acts. So we're doing a message on uh, chapter 9, verses 39 to 43. So this is the third segment in the book of Acts since coming back to it after the book of Ruth. So if you've got your Bibles, you can join with me where we can read this passage together. As Peter travelled across the country, he went to visit the Lord's people who lived in Lydda. There he found a man named Aeneas, who was paralysed and had been bedridden for eight years. Aeneas, Peter said to him, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up, roll up your mat. Immediately Aeneas got up. All those who lived in Lydda and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. In Joppa there was a disciple named Tabitha. In Greek her name is Dorcas. She was always doing good and helping the poor. About that time she became sick and died and her body was washed and placed in an upstairs room. Lydda was near Joppa, so the disciples heard that Peter was in Lydda. They sent two men to him and urged him, please come at once. Peter went with them and when he arrived, he was taken upstairs to the room. All the widows stood around him, crying and showing him the robes and other clothing that Dorcas had made while she was still with them. Peter sent them all out of the room. Then he got down on his knees and prayed. Turning to the dead woman, he said, Tabitha, get up. She opened her eyes and seeing Peter, she sat up. He took her by the hand and helped her to her feet. Then he called for the believers, especially the widows, and presented her to them alive. This became known all over Joppa. Many people believed in the Lord. Peter stayed in Joppa for some time with a tanner named Simon. Now, nearly four years ago, um, I uh, stood up here and shared with you a scene that had captured my attention in the movie Mother Teresa. That scene is still one that I often think about. There was this one scene where this guy had been observing Mother Teresa, following her around to see what she was doing. And he comes to the place of realising what type of woman she really was. And he said to her, he was praising her up for all the things that she does and the woman of God that she really was. Now, she refuses to take any credit for it at all. Mother Teresa's answer to him was just, stop, stop. I am nothing. I am nothing but a pencil in his hand. Imagine being a pencil in the hand of the Almighty God. It's incredible, don't you think? He chooses the story that he'll write with my life. A pencil does not dictate to the writer. A pencil is totally surrendered. No questions. What the writer writes, he writes. It's his workmanship. In this case, it is God and it's his workmanship and it will be a great story. It may have us in suspense at times, crying out, frustrated, devastated, laughing, caught off guard, totally surprised, elated or wondering where on earth is this going? But the author will cause all of these events to conform to the purpose of his will. The ending will be perfect. Would you love to be part of that amazing story that God writes and uses our lives in it? God is not after perfection. He's not after skill or expertise. 
He's not after bravery or goodness. He's after surrender. A heart that continually says, here I am, Lord, have me. He can do anything with that. The book of Acts is the account of believers in Jesus who had become his disciples. They had moved from a position of unbelief to believing, to becoming disciples of Jesus, empowered by his Holy Spirit, followers of Jesus. Now, the passage that we're looking at today focuses on two people mainly who were part of growing and building the early church, two people who expressed the life of Jesus to whoever they were around. Our passage starts with Peter leaving Jerusalem to go on a ministry trip around the coastal region of Sharon. This is just a short segment set between two major events in the spread of the gospel at that time. Just prior to that, we have um, the Apostle Paul, then Saul, who was um, a great persecutor of a church. And we see this amazing experience, supernatural encounter that he has with Jesus that just turns his life completely around. On the other side of our little passage that we're doing today, we have where the church, the message of the gospel is being taken to the Gentiles. Now, these are two extremely significant events that take place in the growth of the early church. Luke, however, the author of this book, has made time and space to include two very short little stories um, in between these two very significant events in, in the happenings of the church. They're like, it's just like he's got these two little stories sandwiched in between these two major things. He sort of overarched these stories with a sense of compassion. He doesn't really tell us much about Aeneas other than he'd been bedridden for eight years and he was a paralytic. Peter responds to his need and God heals him. Peter then doesn't waste any time in responding to the cry for help in Joppa. And here we are met by another sad scene where a group of widows are grieving over the death of a wonderful friend. What will they do without her? And then there is just Peter's gentleness. Falling on his knees, he prays and then says, Tabitha, rise. As she does, we're told he gives her his hand to help raise her up. And then he presents her, calls the others in and presents her um, to her. Look, you can visualise the joy. It would have been an incredible moment. Peter comes across very much as a man who cares about people. The whole scene is just one that we could picture Jesus being in. It is actually very similar to the story of Jairus' daughter who Jesus raised from the dead in Mark 5.41. Peter is becoming very much like his Lord. Both stories also emphasise the impact of these miracles. We aren't told much in these two short little stories but we are told that when Aeneas was healed, that all the residents of Lydda and Sharon saw him and they turned to the Lord. All. And when Dorcas was raised from the dead, that, once again, many believed in the Lord. When God chose Israel to be his people, it was for a very specific purpose of creating a nation that would display his glory and his splendour 
to all the other nations of the world, that they then would want to come in under the banner of his love as well. The church is now that instrument in which all nations would be blessed and by which his glory would be displayed. And it's already happening. Of the characters in this passage, we would probably know the most about Peter. Well, we do know most about Peter. His life has been very much an open book through the four Gospels earlier on and also the book of Acts. It was following Jesus that Peter gave his life to doing. We are given frequent accounts throughout the four Gospels of Peter's mess-ups and failings. We know that when Peter walked with Jesus that he didn't understand Jesus' mission e.g. tries to stop him from going to the cross. At one stage he declares, even if everyone else fails you, I, I won't. If they all fall away, I will fight with you to the death. And then very quickly after that denies even knowing Jesus. But as Peter followed Jesus, none of these failings mattered to Jesus. He just says, follow me. He was just a normal guy and he just says yes to following Jesus. Jesus didn't worry about his mess-ups, his failings. He just said, follow me. He doesn't worry about our mess-ups, our failings. He just says, follow me. And as Peter followed Jesus, the Holy Spirit transformed his life. And God used him mightily in the establishing of the church and the building of God's kingdom on earth. We see in Matthew 4.19 that in one of the very first conversations that Jesus has with Peter, he says, follow me. And we see it again later on in John 21.19. But this time it's one of his last conversations with Peter. And he says, follow me. The thing he wanted Peter to know, most of all, was follow me. Follow me. God would do everything else that needed to happen in Peter's life. Just stick close to me, Jesus is saying. Listen to me. Learn from me. Trust me. Follow me. And then in our passage, there's just one last sentence, which just seems a bit random. Just says, Peter stayed in Joppa with Simon the Tanner. Now, Simon worked with animal hides, which for strict Jews, this would have been a problem because it would have meant that he was often in an unclean state. So it would have been quite a challenge for Peter to stay with a person who was constantly in an unclean state. The fact that he was prepared to do this indicates there's a change taking place in his life. Um, one that he wouldn't have been able to make himself. It was really ingrained in him. This would have been a work of God, a work of the Holy Spirit in his life to make this change. Just my own thoughts, but perhaps this was just a stepping stone in shaping Peter's heart for what was to come in the very next few days, preparing Peter for God's plan in taking the gospel message to the Gentiles. Maybe, don't know. For a short passage, we learn a lot about Dorcas. Contrast this with the previous miracle. We're not told anything about Aeneas, much at all, other than his name, his medical condition, and he lived at Lydda. Luke does not tell us anything about the man himself, not because Aeneas is unimportant, 
But Dorcas's life must have displayed something that Luke really wanted his readers to note. We're told she was a disciple of Jesus. She lived in Joppa. Her name was Tabitha, meant Dorcas. She was full of good works and acts of charity. She served others by making clothes for them. Then she'd been ill and died and then raised back to life. That the widows who knew her were grieving over having lost her. And then scripture sort of infers that she was very loved by others, that her discipleship was lived out through her good works and acts of charity, and that she'd made a big impact on people with her kindness and her generosity. Luke specifically calls her a disciple, not just a believer, but a disciple. She has moved from believing in Jesus to following Jesus. Luke has taken time to tell us this and then describe what being a disciple looked like in her life. The way Dorcas lived her life as a disciple of Jesus looked quite different to Peter's life. Peter now was making speeches to amazing numbers of people. He was working incredible miracles, raising the dead. He was being in prison, whipped, flogged, all sorts of things. Dorcas's life was a little bit different. She expressed God's heart by doing lots of charitable deeds within her local community. We don't know what all those deeds were. We know that she could sew and she made clothes for people, most likely the poor and needy, within her local region. Luke is giving us two very different looks at what it is to be a disciple. God was placing his people everywhere amidst telling us this big story of how the early church was birthed and grew. Luke has taken time out to shine the spotlight on this little patch, this little patch in this big plan of God's. In Isaiah 61.1, God gives us a picture of what Jesus will do when he comes as the promised Messiah. And then what we will be doing together as his people, as his power works through us, his body, the body of Christ, the church. He says, The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom to the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners. This is what is now happening. Jesus had come and now the church was forming to carry on the proclamation of his coming. It has been happening ever since. All down through the ages, the church has continued on. And now it's landed here, landed right here with us now. You may be saying, well, what can I do? Well, God will use you. It's about what he can do. It's probably the wrong question, what can I do? It's about what he can do. What can he do? He can do whatever he chooses with you and through you and me as we surrender, as we surrender our lives up to him. Do you know, um, towards the end of my mum's life, her heart had grown very weak and she found everything really difficult. Moving exhausted her and um, she was now in a nursing home for those last weeks of her life. And when I would go and visit her, she would often tell me about... Um, one of the tea ladies 
or one of the cleaners or one of the nurses or one of the residents. She would get chatting with them and she would be so concerned when I would get there because she would have discovered things about them that were going on in their lives. She would have discovered that, um, you know, her child was sick or her husband was, someone else's husband was unemployed or someone's son was on drugs or whatever. And she would be so concerned. I, I can picture this. I would sit next to mum and she would grab my hand and she would say, Lee, we must do something for them. How can we help them? We must pray. And she had such a heart, such a heart. She couldn't do anything. She could, she got out of bed, she could hardly breathe. But she had such a heart. Her, the expression of God's heart was still in her. And it was, it was just shed from her. The nurses and cleaners, they would have all heard her. She just couldn't do anything else but she could still very much express the heart of the Lord Jesus Christ. There are these beautiful words of Peter in Acts 3.6 to a cripple. They're incredible. I have no silver or gold, but what I do have I give to you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. I just love that. I don't have anything else, but I have everything to give if I have that. What did my mum have? She had the same that Peter had. She had the same that Dorcas had. She has the same thing that we can have. The life of the Lord Jesus Christ pulsating within her. So the spirit of the all, almighty God. There will be infinite ways in which God will use us as members of his body to express his life. We just need to follow him. This is Jesus' message for you and I. We don't know what life will bring. We don't know what will be required of us. We have weaknesses. We have fears. We mess up. But Jesus says, stick with me. Follow me. Jesus says in John 14, 6, I am the way the truth and the life. Just says, follow me. As we follow Jesus, the Holy Spirit will transform our hearts to express his heart wherever we are. And together we will shine his light, even though we are not physically together at the moment. In one way, the world may look and think, oh, the church is gone. Look at all these church buildings, doors are shut, no one's turning up and the world may think, well, the church is done. Well, no, it isn't. It's popping up all over the place now. As we, the church, express his life wherever we are, we may be separated physically, but we can still be a powerful force, a powerful force for his kingdom together, separated but tied together still in our expression of who our God is. The early apostles were certainly handpicked and schooled schooled by Jesus very intensely for a very specific purpose in birthing and building the early church. They were chosen specifically for that period of history and that particular task. You and I have been chosen for this period of history with particular tasks. Ephesians 2.9 says, We are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, 
for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. That we should walk in them. Even in a lockdown during a pandemic, particularly in a lockdown during a pandemic, lockdown has no authority or power to nullify God's truth. Matthew 16, 18, Jesus declares that he will build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. The pandemic will not prevail against it. The church is open. He has good works for all, all of us to do. We are to display his glory through this pandemic, not through anything of ourselves, but because of his workmanship in our lives, because God, God is working in our lives. We are able to display his glory. Even if we don't get to leave our homes, God has called us to be spirit-filled vessels expressing his heart. Let's offer him what tiny bit we have and see what he will do with it. Just like the small boy in Matthew 14 who offered Jesus his small lunch of fish and loaves. And Jesus used it to feed more than 5,000 people. It's not a fairy tale story. It happened. Jesus tells us that he is the same yesterday, today and forever. Offer him whatever you have, no matter how small you think it is, no matter how insignificant or irrelevant it may seem. Offer him. Offer him. How many would have scoffed at that little boy watching him hand Jesus this little lunch and thousands of people to feed? But he offered it and Jesus took it and he magnified it, multiplied it, used it. Those little things in our life, let's offer them. Do you know, I was visiting someone once who had problems that were way, way beyond my skill level. I did not have the expertise at all to help her. Um, I didn't know how to deal with anything that was going on in her life. I felt way out of my depth. I remember saying to the Lord as I was driving to her house this day, I have nothing to offer that can help her. I'm totally out of my depth, Lord. I'm taking her a meal, Lord, because that's all I know what to do. She may not even want to eat anything, but I don't know what else to do. This is all I can do. Lord, will you add your touch to this because I don't know what else to do. It actually terrified me, the problem she had that I had no skill to deal with. And you know that he did. I can't even articulate to you how he did or what he did. But our time together was so good and she was so different when I left. Beth Moore tells a story of where she um, raced into some ladies' toilets in a shopping centre or something. And there was a cleaning lady in there and she sort of just dashed past her and into the cubicle and just says hi as she dashes off into the cubicle. And when she's in the cubicle, she hears someone say, you are a very nice lady. And Beth Moore's like, she's talking to me. She didn't know anyone else was in there. And she says, and so she says, are you talking to me? And she goes, yes. And when she came out, I said, well, what did I do apart from dash past you to go to the toilet and say hi? And she says, 
you noticed me. No one ever notices me. Amazing. Jesus can magnify the little thing in us in so many different ways. Let's not limit him and let's not miss out on what he just might do. As I follow him, the Holy Spirit will transform my heart to express his heart. There was an occasion once too where my sister was, I don't know, eight or nine, was with my dad and they were down the street and dad went into the electrical shop and he went out the back to the workshop and my sister came in after looking for him. She didn't say anything and the lady at the counter said to her, um, your dad's out the back. So she went out to find dad. When they came back through, dad asked the lady, now this lady knew my mum and dad but didn't know my sister, um, how did you know Gaynor was my daughter? And she said to her, um, I could tell who she belonged to. She just looks so like her mother. Do you know, it is like that with you and I. As we follow Jesus, people will recognise who we belong to. Not because we practise being good all the time, but because as we follow him closely, he will transform our lives to look like him, to look like his life. We will be an expression of him in the way we speak, the way we care for others, the way we respond in unpleasant circumstances, the genuine compassion that will flow out of us, the way we graciously forgive, the willingness with which we help others, the way we trust when everything looks disastrous, the humble way in which we will admit that we are wrong, the way I protect others rather than exposing them. We'll never be perfect in all of this. It'll be ongoing, this transformational work in our lives. Oh, but wouldn't you love it written on your tombstone in the image of your heavenly father? or his heavenly father. What an amazing, could you want anything else that the world saw that you look so much like your heavenly father? Not by anything of our own goodness, not that, but as Ephesians 3, 20, 21 tells us, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more, immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. By his power that is at work within us. As we follow Jesus, the Holy Spirit will transform our hearts to be the expression of his heart. There are so many things that we can do to link our lives into Jesus. Important things, feed myself from his words, spend quality time with him, Make prayer a really important part of my life. Hang out with other Christians, share. Look, there's so many things, but I don't actually want to leave a list. I don't want to go and leave a list with you today about all these things we could do. All I want to say, let us humbly fall on our knees before him this day and offer, offer up our lives afresh. Offer up our lives afresh. Humbly come before him. It's a great thing to get on your knees. It's a great expression of humility.
you know, if pride is the only thing that would hold you back from being on your knees, then I would get on my knees as quick as I could. God tells us clearly. He opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Let us humble ourselves before our God. And if you can't get on your knees, you're not able to physically get down there. You can get down there in your heart. In your heart, you can be on your knees and offer up to God. Surrender again. Say, Lord, here is my life. Take my life again, Lord. Today, I give it to you again. I offer it up that you will use me, take me, shape me. Lord, I give it to you. All the other things come and fall into place after that when I truly want my life surrendered into his hands. Amidst all that's going on, what greater thing could I do than say, Lord, take my life, take my life. I offer myself up to you. I want you to write the story of my life, Lord. I do not want to write the chapters myself. I don't want that. Transform my heart, Lord, to be the expression of your heart. That's what we could do today. And it's for every age group. If you're young listening to this, I tell you what, to surrender your life up when you're young, what a life you will have. Why would you wait till you're older? Oh my goodness, let God start writing the chapters of your life now. Don't write them yourself. Let him write them. Let him write them. Church, let us be that pencil in the hand of Jesus. There is no higher calling than to let Jesus write his perfect story with an imperfect pencil. Us. Surrendered to his hand. For each one of us, the story will be different. But if he writes it, together we will display his glory. We will be linking hands with Peter and Dorcas and each other. Let's not miss this. Let's not miss it. Now, I would like to pray, but I thought that I'd actually like to pray Paul's prayer that he prayed to the Ephesians and follow this with him. It's a powerful prayer for us. It's an exciting prayer. It just covers so much of what God wants to do in our lives. So let's pray together. For this reason... I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of your glorious riches, Lord, that you may strengthen us with power through your spirit in, your, in our inner beings so that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith. And I pray that us being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you, us, may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. And now to you, Lord God Almighty, who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to your power 
that is at work within us to you be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations. Amen.